of the mind. I want you, when you're taking notes, before we start, I want you to remember everything that I've said today about communion, about the grace of God, about the goodness of God, about the fact that you're a child of God. Okay, I want you to remember that as we talk about today because if you don't keep that in consideration, you will be depressed after this message. Okay? Now, nobody wants to go to church to get depressed or discouraged. Everybody wants to go to church to get encouraged, including your pastor. And I feel like you will be encouraged. I feel like you go in your car and you'll drive home and you'll go, okay, that was worth it. But let me, let me say one thing. We are going to do a two-part kind of a mini-series in the middle of my series because of the topic that we're talking about is so detailed and deep that I don't want to th- just, I don't want to take a fire hose and just start spraying. Let's do, let's do a smaller hose and just let's get, it's kind of like going to the dentist. Sometimes you have to go more than once. I hate the dentist. But I remember when I was a kid, I had to go get my root, a root canal. You know that? You have to get inside the tooth and you have to like pull that root out and do all that kind of thing. And your cheek's all puffy like a chipmunk. And uh, just think this is a dentist thing on a Sunday. And I, I, I'd rather pay my taxes than to go to the dentist. But um, so this message might seem depressing, but you have to promise to at least, if, you're, if you can't show up in the morning on Sunday morning next week, that you'll watch it later on. I would recommend that you come here on Sunday morning because it would be beneficial. We're going to see, we're going to talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is like seeing part one of a two-part trilogy, or trilogy, two-part, three-part trilogy. This is like part one. Trilogy wouldn't be two parts, huh? That would be a, what would that be? A sequel, sequel. That's like watching Back to the Future one, which is the movie in all itself. But you, you it's like watch. Here's better. This is like it's like watching Star Star Wars part episode one, and just leaving it at that. That's horrible. You can't leave it at episode one because it's the worst one. You got to go in episode two and three. He, he's shaking his head. It is the worst one. You know, pod racing all that. But you have to get to part two. So you got to promise me that you will go with me on this journey to go. The downward spiral of sin and temptation. Everybody say downward spiral. Downward spiral. Don't get too excited. That is so, you're excited about that. Like, if you're excited about talking about sin, then you're sick, right? Um, Because that's what we're going to talk about. And that is so important for winning the battle of your mind. Because the things that you deal with in your mind are not always positive. How many of us deal with thoughts in your mind that are not positive on Oh, I'll just say a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis. Twice a week. You get permission, right, for twice a week. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of us, we tend to have negative thoughts 24-7? It isn't always your fault. Sometimes it's the devil planting a seed in your mind, and you can't help but think about it at night, in the middle of the night. Now, while all of us are worried at 3 in the morning up at night thinking about stuff, your pastor is usually asleep at 3 in the morning. I don't usually think about stuff at 3 in the morning, no matter how bad. I mean, how many times have I been up at 3 in the morning when things were the worst? Never. Because when I'm asleep, I'm asleep. I pretend I'm dreaming about being in Hawaii or something like that. And that is not reality, but that's my, that's my I, I'm dreaming, you know. And um, we're going to talk about the downward spiral of sin and temptation. What I mean by that is it's a, I want you to think about a downward spiral like this, like a drain in your bathtub. Or however, whichever way it goes. I don't remember. It depends on which part of the country you're in, I think, or part of the world you're in. But it starts with a thought in your brain, a temptation that the devil brings your way. And you recognize that it's not from God. 
you recognize that God is not involved. He's not the author of that thought. And you stew on it for a little bit and you go, ooh, that looks pretty dang good. That fruit, just like Eve, wow, that looks shiny and nice. And then you act upon that temptation. And those who are keeping score, that's called sin. And the Bible says that sin leads to death. Two people knew. Sin leads to, I'm going to keep doing this until we get to all participate. Sin leads to, ah, there we go. Okay, good. I would have kept going. Trust me. Um, Sin leads to death. The Bible talks about that. You don't have to like it. I don't really like it. But, so we're going to talk about this thing. And, um, and after you sin, let's just be very honest. Part of you wanted to do that. Part of you, after you sin, after you sin, you go, boy, that felt really good. I'm glad I did that. But there's another part of you. I would even say, this is not scientific, but even maybe 80%, maybe 90% of you said, I am not happy that I did that. I am not happy that I chose to go through with that. And so you live in guilt. You live in shame. You live in embarrassment. Have you ever sinned and just felt embarrassed? Like you start, the, the, the devil lies to you. You sin, and he goes, you know, Christians don't deal with that. You ever thought about that? Christians don't deal with this. Christians don't deal with addiction. Christians don't deal with pornography. Christians don't deal with, uh, 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 you know, thoughts of abortion. Or Christians don't deal with, um, uh, I'm just thinking of different stuff, but alcohol or alcohol is, Christians are not supposed to deal with X or Y or Z. And the devil lies to you because he makes you think that you're the only one. And if you feel alone in your sin, you go down a long, long rabbit trail. Or, or, or you're, you're, it's, like, it's like in the Alice in Wonderland. You, you, you go down the deep rabbit hole and you go into some weird foreign land that you're not meant to be in. And that's not where God's called you to go. He's called you to be in freedom and victory where he's won the, he has won the battle for you of sin and temptation and destruction. Sin leads to death, but that's not the end of the story. Sin leads to death, but Jesus took hold of death, and he was victorious over death. And so if he's victorious over death, that means that we're victorious. You might have temptation. If you're not tempted to do sin, you're not breathing. Like, everybody take a deep breath. Your pastor knows something that you do. You, You were tempted this week to do wrong. And not only tempted, you did something wrong today, so did, or this week. So did I. And usually they're in your thoughts. Usually the sin is not just action. The sin might be a sin of omission, that you didn't do something that God told you to do. Or it's just a sin in your thought, like, I really don't like that individual at work. I don't really like that individual at school. I really hate that individual. I really, I, I can't stand that individual. I hate, I hate our government. I, I, I hate our president. You know, we start doing all these thoughts. And uh, Did I say out loud? I was supposed to say that in private. But we start hating people. And Jesus said, if you hate someone, basically murder them in your heart. So a sin doesn't have to be a physical thing where you're bopping someone over the head with a microphone. It's just right now I'm thinking about bopping Hayden over the head over with a microphone. But I'm just thinking about it. So it's okay, right? No, it's not okay. So part of that is that we like to sin, but part of us, we go, I, I just don't 
I'm not happy with where I'm at right now, and I feel embarrassed. I feel shame. I feel horrible about myself. I am living in a world that is not okay. And God doesn't want you to live in shame. God doesn't want you to live in embarrassment. God wants you to repent of your sin and walk away from your past. Sometimes, you, sometimes life won't let you walk away from that situation. Can I just be honest? But your mind and your spirit can walk away from that mess. Sometimes you still have to pay for the punishment for the crime you committed in your life. Sometimes people won't let, won't let you forget. Now, if we're honest, I don't want you to raise your hand or speak out loud here, but some of us are right in the middle of a downward spiral of some temptation right now in our, in our life. You're in the middle of making bad decisions, bad thoughts. You're in the middle of making horrible thoughts in your mind that are not from God, that it is not actually... Um, for your best interest. It's not God's best interest for your life. It's actually less than your best. And you're thinking about it, and you're actually living defeat, anger. There we go. Hello, testing, one, two. Hallelujah, brother. Okay. Just take, see, anger can't, no, never mind. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, here's a couple thoughts that I thought about this morning because to sin is to be human. I was here last night practicing this because I didn't feel comfortable with the topic. Not that I didn't believe it, but I needed to be more prepared than I was. To sin is to be human. But if we live, if we camp out in our sin for too long, the devil starts to lie. And the longer you're in your sin, the more you start to believe his lies as truth. And you start to feel horrible. And you start to, the three things that get into your mind that you think. Number one, that if you're not victorious over your sin, either A, something's wrong with me. Like, I, something's not clicking in my life, which is a lie. Like, it doesn't mean that you're not getting it. It means that you're a work in progress. Or number two, the lie that comes in your mind is that the gospel doesn't work. Okay? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but your pastor, there have been times in my Christian walk over the last 20 some odd years of being a Christian where I've said, man, either I'm not working or, the, or, or God's not working. I don't know which one is which. Because I've heard freedom. I've, I've heard Pete preach freedom. I've heard preach love. I've heard that God loves me and God accepts me and God forgives me. I've, I've heard that, that my sin is not my past, that, that I can conquer those things in my life that are hindering me. And then I struggle and I struggle and I struggle. I go, either I'm not working out this thing or God's not working out this thing. So I'm bailing on him because there's people that were Christians that I've known. They're no longer following God because it got too difficult and the lie got to them. Like, hey, if you're a Christian, you're never supposed to struggle. I mean, am I the only one that kind of thought about that when I was first a Christian? I assumed that if you got this Jesus thing right, you would never struggle. And if I'm struggling, either God's not working or I'm not doing enough. The third thought that comes to your mind if you're stuck in this thing, you're in this, what did I, I wrote down this, this morning, you're entering into the spin cycle of life. And it's like on high, high heat, and it's never ending. And you're just going, and you're going around and around and around and around. If you're stuck in that, the third thought that goes into your brain is that I'm never going to change. Now, it's going to sound like an AA meeting, okay, because 
Sometimes, and I've never been to an AA meeting. That's one of the things I never did struggle with. I know people that do struggle with alcoholism and that kind of thing. It's just not one of the things that we've struggled with in our household. My dad maybe had one beer in my whole childhood. We never had it. We weren't anti-alcohol, we didn't, but we just didn't, I don't like the taste of it. It tastes like urine, but, you know, I mean, I'd rather have a coffee or a Mountain Dew, the watermelon Mountain Dew, any day, okay? This is not an anti-alcohol sermon, by the way. But I want you to be able to say to yourself, with God's help, that, you know what, this might sound like an AA meeting, but, Lord, through God's help, I can change. That does sound like an AA meeting, but I think they got something going for them. I think AA has, has some seeds of goodness where, you know, they can walk in there thinking that I'm never going to change. It's always going to be like that. My husband will never change. My wife will never change. My kids will never change. My grandkids will never. My marriage will never be any different. Instead of living that way, because we've thought about, we thought that way in our personal lives. Say, so you know what, through God's help, I don't care how long I've been struggling with some sin or temptation or addiction, God can bring me to victory because it's through Jesus Christ. It's not me trying hard enough, okay? Now, some people, they are so ashamed of themselves that they walk away from God. Or the second half of, of people that struggle with sin and temptation, which should be all of us, we stay in the church, we stay, we read the Bible, we give in the offering, we, we, we worship, we, we take communion, we do all that kind of stuff, but we're still not as victorious as we wish we were. We still struggle with specific sin. And by the way, we all do this. I struggle with things that you don't and vice versa. There are things that you struggle with that, to be honest, I'll go, I don't know what the big deal is. Like, why is that a temptation for them? But you could say the same thing about me. And so if we're in this, in this idea where we're always the victim and we're always defeated, that's not the land that God's called us to live. In fact, you've got to pardon me on this first slide here because it's longer than I usually put in there. This is my main point, and it's kind of a wordy mess. I couldn't put it down. But Jesus didn't just go into the grave and was raised in power on the third day just so we could live defeated lives. He overcame death. He overcame the grave, and he overcame hell itself so that you and I could live in his victory. His victory. Okay, let me read that one more time. Again, some of us, we take notes. But if you're not a note taker, some of us are not note takers. I get it. When we're in school, I don't think I, I might have taken notes, but I wasn't really good at it. Okay? But Jesus didn't just go into the grave and was raised in power on the third day just so that we could live defeated, ordinary lives. He overcame death, the grave, and hell itself so that you can I that you and I can live in his victory. Now, in regards to sin and temptation, there are times when you're victorious in one thing and then something else pops up. Have, is that anyone else's story? Like, yay, look at how many, oh, it's, this is creeping back. And then I win this one, I turn around, it's the same thing that I just won. I just won that a year ago. I just, was, I just defeated that foe. It, it's kind of like video games. I'll talk to the younger generation here. It's like, like video games. When I, when I play a video game and you defeat an enemy and you think they're, they're, they're done and you turn around and then they, got, they, got, they respond. You know, you know what that means in the video game world? They respond. They, they, the, the computer loaded them back into the system. And all of a sudden they're back. And, in fact, Hayden, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but those people are usually tougher than they were before. Like they have a special health meter or they have an extra weapon that is defeated. If you're not into video games, you're like, huh? You know. 
looks like, sounds like Joel's just sitting there like, you know, like that and picking his nose, probably. But that's real life. Even that's real life, you can still live in victory. Just because you're dealing with something, sin and temptation, doesn't mean that you're defeated. That's another lie from the enemy. If I'm dealing with something, that means it's over. I'm done. That means God forgot about me. I forgot about God. I'm not doing the right thing. That just, it's simple. You're not living. See, here's the thing. This is a battle, and it's an adventure, and it's a journey, whatever word you want to call it. That's what life's about. And when you deal with temptation and sin, you don't just, you don't just, it's kind of like, you know, like our dog. Sometimes he just rolls over and he just, he wants his belly rub, but he puts his paws up and he's like, whatever my master wants, I'll just do it, whatever. And we do that. We roll over to the enemy all the time. Like, oh, whatever. We just roll over. And if he rubs our belly, we're good. Or, you know, he, he you know, we start tapping our leg a little bit and we're all happy, whatever. And we know that Jesus overcame death, the grave, and hell itself so that we can live in victory. Sometimes victory doesn't look like what you think victory does. And I want you to take this truth, and I want you to plant that as a seed in your mind. Let's not, let's not receive those seeds that the devil is lying to us. Let's take this as a seed of thought that we can overcome because Jesus overcame. Now, this, the scripture I want to read first is what we read last week at the end. Because these are all connected, by the way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. So if you've already taken notes last week, you'll just have to, you know, write it down again or see last week's notes, okay? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, it's so important in your battle in life. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Pause. How many of us are guilty of, when it comes to the battles of this world, we try to do what the world does and try to get angry, try to fight as the world does. That's natural. That's like my human tendency is to go right back to that anger, right back to this or that. And that's not what the Bible says. It says the weapons that we fight with, which by the way are the scripture, prayer, worship, all those spiritual disciplines, all those things that you do are not just something that you just do just for fun. Those are your weapons. Those, the faith, all those things. Okay, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, these weapons that we have, they have divine power. Say divine power. Divine power to demolish strongholds. Interesting that the Bible, the scripture that we read earlier in our service, it says that God is my stronghold. Did you notice that earlier in 2 Samuel? I read it before the, um, was it before? I think it was after. Anyway, whenever it was. David used the term that God is my stronghold. My question is, who is your stronghold? Is your sin your stronghold? Is the enemy your stronghold that's keeping you down and and holding you down? Or is it God that's your stronghold? He's your strength. He's the one that's keeping you strong. When you're weak, as Michelle said, he is strong. Whoa, hello. (laughs) We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we, I put a little cute little circle, but I kind of messed up. It's a little bit to the left. We take captive. Say take captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, that scripture looks a lot different than a lot of people's lives. It looks a lot different than my life. Like, 
I look at the scripture, and it's not a cute little scripture that you can put on a t-shirt. I can't put that on my new mug, this scripture, right? I can't, this is not just a nice little scripture that you put a bow around and then present it to someone as something very cute. This proves to us that you are at constant war, that if you are at war and then you're victorious on this battle, there's going to be something else waging war over here, another battle. Just because you're at war and you're battling doesn't mean that God, that God has completely got over, you know, he's like letting go of you. He's, that's not true. The devil wants to lie to you. If you're struggling, God's not there. If you're struggling, you're not with God. If you're struggling, well, you're not really a Christian because Christians don't struggle. I mean, I don't know how many times I have to say that in my life, that because we struggle, it simply proves that there is a battle going on in this world. In this world, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with each other. Man, we're struggling. We wrestle against the principalities of power in the darkness. And this is not just a cute little scripture. This proves that we are actually hand-to-hand combat in life. I wrote this down. This scripture is about taking back your life. This Scripture is about taking back your thoughts. This scripture is about taking back your marriage, your finances. It's about taking back your view on the future. Like if all you see is something negative, by the way, this world is going to go in a downward spiral, by the way. That does not have to affect your spirit. That doesn't have to affect your heart. That doesn't have to affect your mind. Okay? That just simply is how the world's going to be and Jesus is going to return and that's just how it's going to be. The world is going to go downhill. But some Christians, we have the, they have the worst view of the future that anybody has. And I'm like, haven't you read the Bible? The world's going to end. I hope that's not news to anybody. But the world's going to end, but Jesus says he's victorious. He is in victory. And so we can. And so, I want you to think about yourself for a second. Some of us were born into a stronghold that was not our fault. For example, and I, I used to, I wrote this down this morning, it's a generational curse. And some, I, I just heard the other day someone doesn't like that term and they don't believe in it. We've dealt with it. For example, the Bible talks about that when the sins of the father or sins of the grandparents, or sins of generations ago, that they dealt with something, and there's a spiritual consequence that's not your fault, but it's just one of the realities. I mean, have you ever said, this might seem silly because we laugh about it, you know, man, I'm just like my parents. You ever just, you ever said that? Good and bad. Like, I mean, it's funny, just the other day, I was like smiling, doing something, she goes, you look just like your mom. I'm like, ah, that's creepy. But, you know, there are moments where I'm like, wow, I just reminded myself of my mom or my dad. Or, wow, I just reminded myself of my, gran- or my, my grandpa, like, right there. Wow, that's creepy. And some of it's funny. It's just funny because, aha, you know, you just reminded yourself. of. The- but some of it's very serious. That some of us were born into our stronghold, and it wasn't your... part of a ministry in college where, and I've said this many times in the sermon, so please forgive me, but where we were part of a ministry where we prayed over people that were dealing with generational curses, and we saw time and time and time again people free of that. 
generations of sin was broken just like that in Jesus' name. And um, so you don't have to be the product of your parents, even though you are. You don't have to be the product of your grandparents or some uncle or aunt or cousin that messed you up or somebody on the playground or whatever. You're not the product of your past in Jesus' name. You are the product of God's future for you. You're, you're, you're the product of who God says you are, not by your DNA. Your DNA might say certain things, but it doesn't have the final say. God does. God has the final say. And so, can we just for a moment, can we take one thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? I'm going to put it on the screen. we got to get over this. I, it's never going to be any different. I will always struggle with this. It will always be this way. My voice is loud enough, right? It will always be this way. It's, I'm, it's never going to be any different. I will always struggle with, is anybody guilty of saying these things? I think all of us. I know all of us. The more that you've experienced, let's just say it this way, the more that you've experienced God's victory in your life, the harder you are on yourself when you struggle. Because you think, I thought I was over that. I, I haven't struggled this in 20 years. I was so victorious on this, and now all of a sudden, and those are lies. We've got to take that thought captive. Like if I had a rope and I was, anybody good at lassoing? Right? I am not. I mean, I, was, I, was, I grew up in the city. We don't have rope, you know. We don't, we, we, I never knew rope existed until I moved here. But I definitely didn't lasso. We didn't have horses, okay. But I want you to think of that as some kind of runaway horse. And you're throwing it and you're lassoing it and you grabbing that thing and you grab it and you pull it. You pull it. I'm going to give it to Christ. I'm using my as an example just so I can hit my, and it worked. There we go. I used that as an example just to hit it. That was, what I scare you? This, you've got to take, this is just an example. You've got you to determine what you're struggling with. And you take that thought and you write it down. I wrote this down. It's never going to be a different. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that and I'm going to go, okay, all right. I'm going to go to war with that thought that I'm never going to be, it's never going to be any different. My marriage will never change. My husband or my wife, my kid, they'll never change. Nothing will change. My job will never change. My financial situation will never change. Nothing's going to change because nothing ever does. We're in Kamei. Because that's another thing. That I didn't grow up in Kamei, but that's one thing I've heard over and over. You know you're in Kamei. Nothing ever changes around here. I'm like, whoa, whoa. You're going to hang on to that thought that because Kamei doesn't change, which if you grew up here, probably will say, yeah, Kamei has changed a lot. Okay? But even if you think that things don't change, you're going to take that and you're going to apply that to your spiritual life? No way. I'm not, re I'm not receiving that. I, I, I'm not gonna, and I wrote down, you know, um, I can change, going back to my AA meeting analogy, I am victorious. The future is bright for me. It might not be bright for this world. Definitely not bright for, this, for the devil. It's bright for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, question needs to be asked. Do you want to live a different life than you have to, than you have in the past? It's like Jesus goes up to some guy who needs the healing. Do you want to get better? Jesus, I mean, I apologize, Jesus, but really? I mean, I never would go up to Jesus physically and go, really? Like, that's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Jesus is the master of questions. He is the master of questions that makes you think, but that thought, that question, I was like, 
I've always thought, really? But it wasn't for him. Of course the answer is, yes, I want to get better. But some people will agree with this. You'll agree with this. Some people are so comfortable in their past. They're comfortable in their struggles that it's easier to stay in their struggles than to try to change. It's just true. If you're keeping in the status quo of, of, my, of marriage, for example, it's easier sometimes just to be struggling in marriage than to actually make it work. Because, hey, I, this is all I know. This is how it was for my parents. My grandparents struggled with this. So, eh, but we need to take that captive. We need to make some adjustments, though. It's kind of like, since this is Super Bowl Sunday, I'm just going to say it, go Seahawks. They're not playing today, I'm just saying. Maybe on someone on Madden football, they're going to win. I don't know. But a good football team, this is what happens in football. Okay, I coached one year in football. It was embarrassing, but it makes me an expert. Let's just pretend that when you do one thing once, it makes you an expert. Okay, so a good coach, let's say Seattle is beating the 49ers 28 to 10. <laughs> Pipe dream, but you know what I mean? You know, like usually they're not winning by that much, if at all. But they go into the locker room, and does a good coach go in there and celebrate that they're winning by that much at halftime? No, you don't celebrate. Good job, everyone. Everything's fine. Great. Good job, Seattle. We're going to win no matter what. Okay, go back out there, and let's just do the same thing. No, you don't do that. You kind of do what we're doing in this sermon, and you're going up to them and going, okay, here's the deal. The score means nothing right now. We're struggling in this, 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 and this, and this. And this is your weakness, and they've been exploiting that weakness the whole time. And there's, see, the, I'm just going to call the 49ers for what they are. They're the enemy. They're the devil. Okay? Not as the Rams. I kind of like think the Rams are worse now. But I'm kind of a bandwagon enemy person, whoever is the best. Um, now it's the Rams. But the 49ers, it's just, we're, we're old. I'm old school. But you go in the locker room, you say, that's their weakness exploit that weakness in the second half. I want you to make this adjustment. I want you to make that adjustment. And when you go into the second half, this happens with Seattle a lot. Not always, but you will see Seattle struggle in the first half. And the second half, all of a sudden, you see them doing the right thing. Why is that? Because they made the necessary adjustments at halftime that they needed to do. They found out where the weakness was at the enemy, and they found their own weakness, and they adjusted, to, they adjusted one way or the other to go into the second half victorious. Now, I want you to pretend right now, this might not be literally true. Let's say right now we are at halftime in our life. We can't guarantee tomorrow, so, but let's just say we're, this is a halftime right, moment right now. I, I want you, and I think God wants you to identify certain things in your life that are weak. And I want you to, God wants you to make necessary adjustments in your walk with God. You got to start doing things that you're not used to. You got to start getting rid of things that you wish that you had gotten rid of 20 years ago. And you start adjusting the game a little bit. And when you go out second half, beginning after church, do things differently. Exploit the enemy. He's predictable. I said that last week. The enemy is pretty predictable. So there's a few things I want to look at I want to look deeper into the spiral of sin and the spiral of sin and temptation, the downward spiral. The number one thing is so obvious, but what happens is that the temptation from the enemy enters our minds. This is so obvious because it's out of your control. 
You think that if you can think about the right thing for so long that it will never, you'll never be tempted. Get that thought out of your mind that you'll never be tempted. You will always be tempted. I'd like to think this might be even 24-7, 365. Maybe when you're asleep, you're not tempted. We'll just throw that in there. But if you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're going out into the world, you're going to be tempted in certain ways that you struggle with. Where you are weak, you're going to be tempted in those areas. And so this is the very first thing. The temptation, that thought just pops into your head. The scripture I wanted to read is James 1. James 1, verse 13 and 15. It says this. When tempted... Not if tempted, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person when, is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and they're enticed, like they're pulled, Ugh, you know. Then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, what does it give birth to? Death. It's like the Bible knows what it's talking about. It always leads to death. The very last thing, when the spiral and temptation goes, the very bottom of that thing is called spiritual death. Spiritual death. Everything is just cut off from you and God. That's the last thing. But this is like the perfect opportunity to, to be reminded of what you're facing every single day. A thought enters your mind by the enemy. Listen to me. This is, your life is not a, I sit at the beach with my soy, decaf, fat-free latte with my pinky rays because that's this, I don't know, a little teacup. That's not, that, that's, and you look in the sun go down. That's nice. Isn't that just lovely? Wow. That's, you know, that's a Facebook type of relationship with God. You know what I mean by Facebook? Yeah, when you're seeing Facebook, everybody has all these cool pictures of their vacations. Like, we're Oh, we're at Hawaii again. We're just living the rough life. This is the third time this year we know people that go to Hawaii often. We're like, and they're sipping their lattes. I'm sure they're fat-free soy. I'm sure they're decaf because what's the fun in that? And they're just sitting there. At, that is not the way that, that's not how you've been called to live. I'm sorry. Some churches will not say what I'm saying because they're afraid that people will leave because they want the best life now. They want everything to be good right here, right now. And the truth is, we don't, we're not on a beach. We're, on a, we're in a battle. We're in a war. And the moment you say yes to Jesus Christ, I'm going to make an assumption right now that I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to make an assumption right now if you're in church, you're a child of God because you gave your life to Christ. And if you didn't, you did it earlier in the service before we did the communion. Okay? Now, if you are a child of God... I want you to know something. You have a big target on your back from the enemy. Pastor, this is not fun. Can you go, can you do jokes again? No, no, I can't joke about this. I, I'm a, I laugh all the time. At the expense of being serious, oftentimes I laugh at serious moments. Those are not okay. You're at a funeral, all of a sudden you laugh at something funny. Not okay. But the reality is you do have a target on your back. And if you're careful, you're spiritual, you start itching it because it starts getting a little spiritually itchy. If that, I don't even know what that means. But you start going, man, what is this? What's the deal? How come Barbara over here, how come she doesn't deal with anything? Barbara might not have a target on her back. What I mean by that is the enemy, the enemy hates God. 
The devil hates God. And the devil hates anything or anyone that is associated with God. The Bible says, believe it or not, that you are a child of God and you're created in the image of God. And if you're created in the image of God, when the devil looks at you, he sees God. Not that you're God. Not that you're divine. That's not what our church teaches. But you bear the image. You're stamped. It's like you're the painting and he signed his name. And it's like Bob Ross. He signs his name in every painting. You are his. And if you're his, trust me. You're going to have a target on your back. That's why you're dealing with stuff. That's why you might deal with certain things that the neighbor down the road, they don't deal with anything like that. Their marriage is always good. By the way, most people's marriages or things aren't always perfect. They just have that Facebook, they crop out the crap. Don't they? I mean, there are pictures I've taken of myself that I crop out the crap. Or I go, don't want that smile because I don't like my smile in pictures. It's so phony. My mom's in heaven, so I can joke about her, but her smile and pictures were fake. It's so fake, weren't they? She knows. My mom's smile and pictures are so phony, and that's where I got it from. If I have to fake smile, you know, I just, I don't like it, and so I crop it out, or I change the look, or I change the pose, you know, and Hayden's now not looking at me because he's embarrassed. Good, that's my goal. Now, who is that? That's not my dad. But uh, he, the enemy will put a thought in your brain that is contrary to God's best for your life. And who is the devil? Well, last week we read Genesis 3. We're not going to go there today, but it says that he's crafty. He's sneaky. He's, dare we even say, we might even think this is blasphemy, but he's smart. He's wise. Really? Well, God's wise. No, 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 no. You, you, no, he knows the battle that you're playing, and that you're in, and sometimes we don't even think we're in a battle. He knows a lot more. He knows more than we do. He's been around. He's been a, God created him way before you were born, and he's been playing the game for a long time. The, de- the Bible actually says who the devil is, and I won't, there's no scripture I'm going to read this time, but just trust me, I read him this week. We know that the devil is a fallen angel who wanted to be like God, and the Bible says, and I think it's Isaiah, that he, he fell from heaven like a star out of the heavens. Okay? You got to get, when it comes to the devil, you can't just rely on Genesis 3. Because Genesis 3, it's like, where did he come from? I've always wondered that. Like, where, like, all of a sudden the devil showed up. You got to get the whole Bible in, in a story because... The, the idea of the devil, the, the whole picture of who the devil really is and where he came from is found in Scripture, not just in Genesis 3. You might look at Genesis 3 like, it's a talking snake. What, what? You might get a little confused and a little bit like, what? That's weird. He's a fallen angel that wanted to be like God, and God said, that's it, you're out of here. And he took some angels with him. And did you know that even da- the book of Daniel said that he was full of beauty and wisdom? I watched cartoons when I was a kid, and the devil was always not pretty. And, and the thought in my mind, when I think about the devil, I think about someone very, very, uh, like a shadow figure almost. I've seen a lot of weird movies when I was a little younger. Don't watch weird movies. Don't watch horror movies. But like a shadow figure that you could barely see, and he's sneaky, and he sneaks around the corner. But the Bible also says that he was wise and he was beautiful. He's not a third-rate angel He's not just some random angel named Joe, and he picks his nose all the time. 
he is a very, very crafty, very smart, very wise, very beautiful fallen angel that's destined for hell, the lake of fire forever. But in the meantime, before that happens, he's looking for anyone with a target on their back. And that's why we need to know we're at war. And that could, I'm not, my, my point is not to scare you. My point is to get us ready for battle. Like those of us who are going into battle without any weapons, like the Bible or prayer, or if, if we're just going into battle like, hey, look at me, I'm right here. Hey, hey, look at me. You're going to be defeated. You got to go with, ready for battle. You got to get your Bible out. You got to read some scripture. You got to quote it. You got you to you memorize some of it. You got to, when that the idea of sin and temptation comes to your brain, you got to take that thing out. You got to start reading it out loud. I'm not talking about just quiet. I'm talking about out loud. You're reading, you're, you, you remember, go into your car and maybe get it on CD or on your phone and just listen to it on the way to wherever. Just whatever it takes. So first thing that happens is a temptation from the enemy enters through our brain. The second step is we act on that temptation and we sin. This, again, should not be, you almost don't need to write this down because it's so obvious. Thought goes into your brain, plants a seed, and that seed for temptation might last five seconds, by the way. Sometimes we're tempted and we're just right into sin. Sometimes we think about it for five minutes or five days. We act on the temptation and we sin. And it means that we've lingered a little, maybe a little too long on the thought that the devil brought to us. And let's just be honest about this step. This is, the first step was the devil's fault. It really was. Or maybe someone else lied to us. Maybe just not the devil, but our, our dad or mom or our teacher when we were kids. Or, or uh, someone said you weren't good enough for that kind of thing. And you, but this part is our fault. We cannot blame this part on mom and dad. We cannot blame this on Uncle Larry who messed with me when I was a kid. We cannot, this is, this is not your cousin's fault when you were like five years old or to 15 years old. This part right here, sin, is your fault. This part is my fault. When we're tempted, I always, listen to me, when I'm tempted, when you're tempted, you always have a choice to say no, always. And you go, and I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, I'm sure you have, but you're in the middle of thought, of attempting, maybe you're going to, you're thinking something and you want to do something that you shouldn't. And you go, I have a moment, you have a moment thought that you can get out of this. And then you just go right in there anyway. And then you feel guilty. And then you feel like ashamed. And then all that kind of stuff. And, and let's just be honest, number three, this is huge. This, this has to be said. There usually is a momentary pleasure. And you know this, but the church doesn't really say this. Sin feels good. Sin feels good. Why in the world would you be tempted by the same stuff over and over and over and over? You know, when I was a kid, I stepped, I had rubber boots on and we were in the backyard and I stepped on a nail and it went through my foot. It was pretty bad. I lost my, no, I didn't lose my foot. What am I, I'm just kidding. I still have my foot, but it was, it was nasty. Go to the doctor, get a needle in my foot, that kind of thing. Get, you know, um, I would never, ever, ever, ever from that moment on go to next to the shed that we had and go into those two-by-fours that were just sitting there with nails. Do you know why? I wasn't tempted to go back there because it didn't feel good. When you were a kid and you touched the stove when you were little, do you, did you do it again? <laughs> my, my brother, we were, I said this already, and he kind of watches this sometimes, so hi, Jason. Um, 
you know, putting the cigarette lighter in. He goes, I dare you to touch it. No, you idiot. Like, come on, man. Like, and he touched it. And you can tell, yeah, he's, I'm lying, but it's true. He touched it with his finger. Or did he put it on his hand? No, he put it on his hand because there was a spiral on his hand, and it's still there. In a way, I can, you can still see a little bit. But um, do, you, do you think that he ever did that again? <laughs> I, did he? I think he did. No, he didn't do that. Um, the reason why is because it did not feel good. <laughs> I could have told you that beforehand, weirdo, you know. But when it comes to sin and temptation, listen to me, it's going to feel good. That's why you're tempted to do it. You're never tempted to do something that's, unless you're sick, do something that's not going to feel good. But I want you to, I want to remind you of something you probably already know. That pleasure is very temporary. I'm going to be very extreme. I mean, this, um, God forbid, and God, praise God, this never happened in my marriage where I've messed with someone else, some other person's wife or some, I just never, we, this is my only wife. This is the only person I've ever been with in my life, period. In fact, she was the per first person I dated. As good looking as I am, can you believe that? It was because I was so holy, I said no to all the girls in high school. Uh, yeah, that was really what it was. Yeah, 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 I was too good looking. You know how some people are so good looking that they don't date because they're, people are afraid? Yeah, that's how it was. But, um, <laughs> but let's say for a moment that I mess around on, with, with, with someone else. And to be honest with you, don't take this the wrong way, Lid. If I mess with someone else and someone else's wife or some other lady, it would feel good for a little bit, wouldn't it? It would. I would be like, hey, this is pretty cool. You start comparing, like, well, my wife doesn't do this, or my wife laughs at this, but this person, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. But then after a while, you're going, this is not right. What about my wife? Now I'm being, now I'm being extreme. It could be any other sin. It could be something very simple. This is complex right here, what the mess I'm painting here. Okay, but at some point you're with, it, it just put it, fill in the blank for whatever sin that you struggle with. What, if I'm with someone else's wife and I'm going, this feels good, wait, no, it doesn't. I feel guilty. I feel, I, I feel, I feel embarrassed. I feel shame. And now I'm done with that, I gotta crawl back to my wife and I gotta admit my sin, which by the way doesn't feel good, but it's necessary. Right? To confess your sin, not only to God, but to those you harm. Again, this is this is like getting a shot in the roof of your mouth at the dentist. That's not fun. I hate that feeling. And that's cold. You're like, ah. Or getting the shot in the behind. You ever done that? I did one time, and it's like I don't. I was holding onto the bed, and I was like, "I'm just doing this to embarrass you." You, you weren't even there. You remember? And I, I, I said, "I might to this male nurse." There's nothing wrong with male nurses, by the way. I know some from college. Um, but he goes, "It's going to hurt." But it was necessary when I had to get finger surgery. That one. <laughs> I was going to raise my little finger. That one. This is from the mill. Um, it hurt, but it was necessary to make this sure this thing was not, I wasn't going to lose my finger, because I could have lost my finger, I was told. Which, how much is a middle finger worth? Is it worth like $10 million to the mill? I don't know, I always thought about that. But anyway, um, there is a momentary pleasure, but it's temporary. 
See, Proverbs, I love these. I, I could have memorized, I memorized this. Um, Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It seems right. It feels good. Isn't life about pleasure? I love Proverbs 14, 12 because when I was a kid, that was one of the first things I memorized because my address was 1412 11th Avenue, Southeast Belt, Washington, 98372. So when someone read Proverbs 14, 12, I just easily memorized it. But then I read verse 13. It says, even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. In other words, your pleasure that you get in sin is, only, is very temporary. This looks like some people's weekend, by the way. Like by Saturday night, it was great. But Sunday morning you woke up, it ended in grief. And, and your heart ached a little bit. You're like, this is not good. Your temptation becomes sin and it feels good. It's temporary. But this is so important. Number four is so important. We discover sin's hook. We discover sin's hook. Um, now, I'm a bad fisherman. I am so bad luck. Anybody fish? Are you good? I just am not good. In the lake, yes. But in the river, no. There's too many rocks. In the water moves. That's stupid. Like, I just want to sit there and fall asleep and drink my Mountain Dew or my soy latte. <laughs> you know, which I hate. I don't like soy lattes. But I, I know enough about fishing that when you catch a fish with that hook, it rips through the mouth and goes into the gill if you catch it, and it does some damage to them. Like, it just does. If the longer it's in there and the more you yank on that, that thing, it's going to hurt that fish even more, which whatever. You just take the fish, and then you take the hook out, and you knock it over the head, and it's dead, and you put it in your, your pail or whatever. But when it comes to sin, the longer you linger in that sin, the more of a hook that it has, and it does damage to your heart. What I mean by that, I mean, you, it's ripping your heart apart. It's, it's, it's hit, ripping your heart away from God. It's ripping your heart away from your family. It's ripping your heart away from your church. It's ripping your heart away from your spouse. It's ripping your heart away from the people that you're supposed to love and you're reaching out to, and you avoid people because you're ashamed. You discover that's a hook in your heart, and it's causing damage, not only to you, but the people that you love. And, and, and not only, this might make you feel guilty, and it's not meaning that, because I'm saying this to myself. It, it, you lose your credibility of, the, of your witness the longer you're in it. Now, people need to know that you'll struggle. They, need to, they don't need to see a fake perfection. I'm guilty of that, trying to, and they get, can't believe that Joel has gotten angry before. They can't believe, they literally can't believe that we've gotten an argument. You can film it, but... Like, I, I will joke around, we'll talk with someone at work, and I'll say, yeah, well, um, for, this, is, this, is a little, this is a long time ago, but, like, literally one day we were in a ar big argument. And sometimes it's easier just, I was told, walk away, count to ten. Well, I counted, like, for three hours, and I went to work. And they said, you know, uh, you know for three hours, I, I, uh, I, they said, what are you doing here? It's like 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. What are you doing? You don't work this late. And I said, I was just honest. Just had an argument with my wife. Did, did I just admit that? Whoops. Good job. And they said, you, you had an argument with her. There's no way. You, you, you're too friendly for that. I'm like, <laughs> they just don't believe it. And um, 
I have no idea what this has to do with it, but I just need to get off my chest. Right? I mean, maybe this is just, we're, it's, it's, this is free marriage counseling in front of everybody. This is the, these are the doctors. These are the, these is, we're good. We're good. We're good. We are good. Right? COVID. I'm just kidding. Your bad hand? Hold on. There you go. We're good. But, oh, yeah, we don't, we, we don't put on a plastic marriage here and say everything's perfect. Everybody needs to see the reality of you. But if you're stuck in your sin forever and you don't deal with it, it's gets a, it gets rid of the credibility of your witness. It really does. And I'm saying that to myself because it's happened. Like if that, if God's, they, they assume that either you're not doing it right, but they assume worse than that, that God is not even real because if he can't affect you, how can he affect me? And it, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, but it's just the truth. Number five, this is huge because after a while, if you're stuck in there, you're met with by feelings of frustration, guilt, shame, embarrassment. And I don't know about you, but each one of those, I don't like living that way. I, I, I've never liked I, I mean, I put, originally I put frustration, guilt, and shame, but I added embarrassment because I don't, obviously don't like to be frustrated. I hate guilt and shame. You know what's worse than that? To me personally, the embarrassment of everything. I've been embarrassed before, not just with sin, but just, you know, you're walking around, your fly's been down the whole time. Or you're in high school and you trip down the stairs in front of everybody. And then you roll up and you're like, it worked, right? It's like, that's how it was supposed to People, kids, they're mean. They're cruel, okay? Or you get beat up, and everybody makes fun of you. I don't like being embarrassed. I don't like being embarrassed. In high school, it was always, you go in speech class, and I was up there doing a speech, and I was like, like, Elvis is cool when he does his Elvis leg. This is not cool. This is cotton mouth and, 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 and making an Orange Julius and the whole thing shot up because I forgot to put the lid on perfectly and, and, and I was so embarrassed. I wanted to be somewhere else, anywhere but when it comes to sin embarrassment's like you go into church and you feel like dirty rotten, horrible and I want to be very clear, this is not the, the places that God wants you to live if you live there you're one step closer to spiritual death if you live there. You could go to church all you want. You could read the Bible all you want. You can pray all you want. If you live there forever and if you resign to that, that's just how I am. I'm just frustrated all the time. I just feel guilty. You can't, Pastor, you can't tell me I can't feel, I just feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel embarrassed. If you live there, you're close, close to spiritual death. Now, there is one more step before spiritual death. Let's just assume the bottom level is you're, you're, you're done. Eternal separation from God. The last step is huge. The enemy shifts to a new tactic. He's not crafty anymore. Now he's, he, he becomes accuser and condemner. I thought about this. We're almost done, but I want to be very honest. Have you ever been or seen a building that was condemned? Like, what does it mean for a building to be condemned? What are they going to do with that building? They tear it down. They are not going to rebuild it, usually. Sometimes you can, okay? But when a building is condemned, it means that the use of that building is no longer uh, up to par, if you will. 
up the, up the code. That, that it's unsafe, it's unreliable, and if you walk into that condemned building, either the building's going to fall and you're going to fall down, or it's going to collapse on you. I watched this video. This guy goes in these abandoned buildings, and he's in Baltimore. Like half of Baltimore is like abandoned, and he goes up in this old 1920s department store that's been abandoned since 1957 or something like that. And he's like, it's like, he's like, it's, there's holes in the floor. You can see through seven stories. I wouldn't do it. But the building's been condemned, and for some reason Baltimore refuses to just tear them down. They just leave it. But usually, a building that's condemned means ready for destruction. So if you live in condemnation, if you live in a, a spirit of, of being condemned, you're basically saying, I'm useful for nobody. I'm not useful for God. And that means that you're ready for the world to tear you down and you're done. So that's the worst. It's condemnation. That's the bottom. Before you're dead spiritually, that's the bottom of the barrel, if you will. Condemnation. But next week, we're going to look at how Jesus blows up that spiritual uh, spiral, that downward spiral of sin. He blows that thing out of the water and he offers you hope and victory. You don't have to be stuck in that downward spiral. Like if, if you are in that never-ending spin cycle, Jesus offers a way where he shuts that thing down and he opens that door up and you might be a little dizzy at first, like, whoa, like, this is, this is like the teacups at Disneyland. Like, whoa, I don't feel good. But after a while, you'll be okay. The, fir- the last scripture will be done. This one's a good thing to memorize too, by the way. This scripture is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. This was one of my early scriptures. Now, I didn't memorize it in this verse, so you'll have to apologize in this version of it. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Okay, look at it around, everybody. Look at, look at someone... The person down that way over here and that person over here, they're probably dealing with the same stuff you're dealing with. Somebody is. You are not alone. You're not alone. You could be dealing with the strangest, most unusual thing, and you're not alone. Okay? And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, now, when you're deeper in that spiral, it's a little bit more difficult to get out, but it's not impossible. But on the very top, when you're tempted, when the thought goes into your brain, he, God, will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's the key. We'll talk about that next week. But the key to your victory over your battle of your mind of sin and temptation is you've got to allow God to show you the way out. And if you're in that spin cycle and you're deep down and you're, condem- you're condemning yourself, you need to do some work a little bit. But your work involves being with God. That's what it means to work. I'm not meaning that it's up to you only. But you got to do some work. You've got to do some heavy lifting. you got to do some heavy praying. you gotta, you got to allow Jesus to root into your heart, and it's going to hurt. That's my experience. Dealing with this does not feel good, but the results are great. The results are great. Let's pray. God, help us to live in victory. Help us to live in victory. Help us to... Understand that you're not the author of temptation and sin. But you're the author of faith and life and life abundant. I pray for victory over each one of us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Remember the 21st.
Remember the 20... Hello. No. That's all right. I'm just going to stand around and just hold the microphone. It does still record, so that's why I came on to it. Hello? Testing one, two, three. Interesting. Because we didn't have anything we didn't have anything wrong with it for three weeks.